1: Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, please. And Father, we're so grateful again this morning to be able to come into your house, Lord, that you've provided for us, Lord, so that we can worship you in this place and seek your face and just give you the honor and the glory that you deserve, Lord. You are the one true living God, the God of Moses. You parted the Red Sea to free your people, And, Lord, you have given us your son, Jesus, to save us, Lord. And we're so, excuse me, we're so grateful this morning for your love and for your goodness. We ask that as we study your word, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, where we're at. You know each and every heart here, Lord. You know what we're going through. You know what we need. You know what you want to do in our lives. Lord, we're open. Give us your humility. For you say that you teach the humble your way. Lord, pour out your grace. We can do nothing without you. May it be all of you and none of me. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we say, Amen. Amen. All right. So, the Corinthian church, as you know, is a church that Paul has planted. And, and as he's writing this letter, it's been four years since that church was planted. And so, it's a new church. And uh, uh, the church notoriously has all kinds of of problems, carnality, fleshliness, and sin within its ranks. And uh, this letter is Paul, the Lord through Paul, taking care of those issues and trying to strengthen that church and correcting the problems that they have. Uh, Corinth, as you know, is a town of great debauchery and sin and idol worship. Uh, the the worship of Aphrodite is there and all of its temple prostitutes. Uh, Corinth had a terrible reputation. And this is a place where Paul is, 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 uh, has planted a church. And, and if God can plant a church in that place, he can plant one anywhere. Amen? In fact, the more wicked the city is, the brighter light we should shine. Amen? And so the Corinthian church is... Having contentions, and that's the first thing that Paul deals with their contentions um, and their division over their preference over preachers and teachers. They were saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of or Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. And Paul would ask the question to them: uh, is Christ divided? In other words, is this what the church is about? Is it about being divided and being carnal and worldly and trying to one-up each other by who, what preacher, what teacher they follow, how much knowledge they have, and all of those things? Is that what Christianity is about, that self-glorification and boasting in oneself and putting others down? Of course it is not. That's not what it's about. But Corinth, you know, it's a you know, they're Greeks, and the Greeks are infa- infamous for their learning. Athens and Corinth, those cities were just known for the hub of uh, knowledge and higher learning and uh, every- and philosophers and everyone seeking uh, to find out what is the meaning of life uh, through humanism. And we know that this, though they're the hub of all learning, the people it, it the people were not gratified or satisfied because the wisdom of this world cannot satisfy a person. Their souls were empty, and again, um, I believe before they were saying, "I am of Paul," "I am of Apollos," "I am of Cephas," "I am of Christ," they were probably saying, "I am of Plato," "I am of Socrates." Prior to that, so there was a. Uh, pride and an arrogance in their knowledge in their education and it was spilling into the church and again is christ divided is that what the church is about and absolutely no god calls us to be humble to be meek uh, to be about the glorification of god and not self the bible says that knowledge puffs up but love edifies things haven't changed in today's colleges, in our place of higher learning, the wisdom of man is elevated and the wisdom of God is ignored and mocked. And so our institutions of learning have become places of, of indoctrination, turning uh, our young minds away from God further into humanism. That doesn't mean math is bad or Uh, Engineers shouldn't learn how to build bridges correctly, or doctors shouldn't learn how to practice medicine correctly. It just means that there's no seeking after God. There's no honoring of God in our highest institutions. Harvard, Yale, I mean, they were schools of ministry back in the day, seminaries. But now they reject Christ totally, and um, our generation is suffering because of it. And so it's not about the wisdom of the world, Paul is saying. It's not about, you know, how smart you think you are, or it's it's all about elevating the name of Jesus. He would say as himself, as they looked up to him, he said, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be of no effect. Speaking of himself. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words. Lest the cross of Christ should be of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And so Paul says it clearly that the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. The wisdom of God is much higher. And he calls out the disputer. Where is the wise? Where is the disputer of this age? Which philosopher can hang with the wisdom of God? What have the philosophies of man, humanism, Human education done for the souls of men. They have not done much, guys. They have left it empty. Our our colleges, places of higher learning around the world need the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message of the cross is foolishness to mankind, to humanism. Why? Because God calls mankind to repent, to turn from their sins to deny themselves, to take up their cross, and to follow him. It's totally opposite to humanism and to the nature of mankind. Man seeks to live for himself. Man seeks to worship himself. And, And that is the ultimate sin. That is what keeps people away from faith in Jesus Christ, is their refusal to deny the worship of themselves, of them wanting to live for themselves rather than for Jesus Christ. But Jesus came and he preached humbly that we are to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, to follow him, for he died for us on the cross. And he is worthy of all praise and all honor. And his ways are different from the world's ways. This is why the cross is foolishness to the world. They don't want to deny themselves. And yet Jesus said this to his disciples in Matthew 20, verse 25 through 28. He said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's his words are a threat to the world. The world wants to seek its own. And Jesus says that the way up is down to humble ourselves, to be servants as he is a servant king to us. He served, he washed the disciples' feet. He said, Who's greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Yet I am one, and the disciple says, he who sits at the table. And he says, yet I'm am among you as one who serves. So we are to be humble and we are to be servants. And again, the Corinthian church was, was had a pride issue that God is trying to deal with. And whenever there's envy and strife and this kind of competitiveness of trying to be the most spiritual person in the room, the most knowledgeable person in the room, that's really not of God. That's of the earth. It's, it's demonic, actually. In James chapter 3, verse 13 through 17, James says this, "'Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom.'" But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without uh, partiality and without hypocrisy. The wisdom of God is about humility. It's about lifting up God. But again, like I said, if we seek to lift ourselves up in any way, it is the quickest way for God to humble us, chasten us, and not use us for his service, to kind of put us on the shelf until we learn humility. Pride is a wicked thing. It's actually where all sins stem from. We know that Lucifer, who was a beautiful angel, was cast out of heaven because of his pride, of his arrogance. Rather than honoring God and thanking God for being made a beautiful angel, he instead wanted God's job and wanted to lift himself up above the Lord. And a third of the angels were kicked out of heaven alongside him because they became a prideful, self-sufficient, no longer depending on God, but living for themselves and looking inward rather than looking towards the Lord for their um, provisions, for everything that they needed. They began to look to themselves. Self-sufficiency is pride, and pride is the reason for any spiritual um, loss, actually, any any. Any uh, spiritual, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I don't know, impotence or whatever comes from pride. And every spiritual success comes from humility. Amen? And then Paul would say, look at yourselves, right? He says at the end of chapter 1, for you see your calling brethren— Not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things, the world, the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And so it's it's not about, being better than other people, one-upping each other. Take a look at yourselves. God has called ordinary people, the foolish things of the world, the weak things of the world, the base things, the low things, just ordinary people in order for him to do his will. Why is that? So that only God can get the glory. God loves us so much. He, He is protecting us from pride by saying, Look at yourselves, look in the mirror. I didn't call you because you were strong and noble and loved by everybody. I called you because of my grace. I called you because I know that through your life, it will bring glory to God. But we must remember that for a church to be healthy, for you and I to be healthy Christians, we must be humble. We must understand. And again, it brings Uh, strength to our hearts and confidence that he uses us weak people. It it just brings tremendous confidence. He uses the foolish, the not so wise, the not so noble. God wants us to know that he'll use anybody, any space cadet that would just love his son he will use them for her for great things. It's not about our ability. And then he goes on to say, um, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories that I'm glory in the Lord. Jesus Christ has become our wisdom. Jesus Christ is the one who called you and I He's the one that justified us. He's the one who called us. He certifies that you and I are legit to serve him. He is our wisdom. He is that degree that people ask in this world. What degrees do you have? Who gives you the authority? What papers do you have of authorship or authority? Jesus is our wisdom. Jesus called us. He's the one that has given us wisdom. Paul continues in chapter 2, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so here, Paul is just speaking truth to them. I didn't come to you trying to impress you with excellence of speech. I'm sure the temptation for him to come speaking the best that he could and, and, and with, you know, $5 terms and, Just, 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 I'm sure he was tempted to do so. He's starting a church in Corinth, after all, where the greatest orators at that time would be speaking, the philosophers. But he didn't let that tempt them because he knew who called him, and it was God. And that the gospel is where the power is. And that God ordained that the gospel be spoken simplistic, for anyone to be able to understand the gospel wasn't meant to puff the preacher up or the teacher up or the christian up up to be able to display to the listeners just how smart we are because we're not and the wisdom from god tells us that we're not too smart right and that we need god and only through the power of god can the gospel message be effective so he said i did not come with excellence of speech, and he determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Many preachers are tempted to care more about the production than the meat of the message. We live in a world today where, where there are churches that spend a lot of time and energy caring about the production of the church, but the substance, which should be Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit is neglected. They care more about how the lights are during worship and the smoke machines and, and the presentation of it all to tantalize the, the, the flesh of those who go to their churches and the substance is missing. We don't want to be Christians that way, where it's about you know how a uh, production and 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 you know how everything is is presented. It's simpler than that. The power of God is it's simpler than that. It's the power of God is real. It's about the Holy Spirit and what he does in through ordinary vessels like you and me. There's too much planning, there's too many board meetings, there's too much production, and there's too little praying. And you see that amongst preachers today. They're professional. Now, we should do all things well for the Lord. Take a look around. Looks pretty clean. It's warm here. The grounds are kept. We should. Give God our best. Don't get me wrong. But these things are not the goal of our church. It isn't the power behind the church. The power behind the church is prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not how great I can fashion a sermon or how hip I can look in my skinny jeans. It's it's not the hair. It's not the power is in God. And like he said in the previous chapter, it's the foolish, it's the weak, it's the despised. People should be blown away and in awe that God can use ordinary people like that. Not in excellence of speech, Paul said. I didn't come to you that way. I remember because the enemy will tempt preachers, you know, and the enemy will tempt all of us actually in the room. You're not wise enough, smart enough, good looking enough. Uh, you're not a good enough, te- uh, uh, you know, a communicator. You, you know, you're you're not as outgoing. You just can't really minister to people, and that's not true. It's a lie from the depths of hell. If God loved you enough to save you, He has also called you and can use you to do anything that He wants you to do. Many a times in my discouragement and my lack of confidence, I remember listening to Pastor Raul Reese, And he would weep over the fact that his English wasn't too good. In the early days, he just thought, I can't do this. My English isn't good. And because he struggled and was comforted and assured by God, and God has used him to do amazing things. When I doubted myself, I heard him on the radio for about 30 seconds, and I thought, my goodness, if God can use him with that heavy accent, I'm good. (laughs) I'm good, but it's true. It's the power behind all of us. If the power wasn't behind young David when he fought Goliath, Goliath would have torn him to shreds in 10 seconds, would have ripped him to shreds, but he had God behind him. The power in David's life was God behind him. And it's God behind you. And Paul is teaching the church. It's not about all of this worldly wisdom and knowledge. It's about the power of God. When in contrast to these preachers who are all super polished and care about presentation and how people perceive them. In contrast, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, we're told about our Lord that he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Jesus made himself nothing. When he was alive on the earth, he made himself nothing. That was his production. Nothing. He walked into the room and he was the most spiritual man there. And yet they wouldn't know it because he didn't sound a horn and he didn't present himself arrogantly or look at what I know. He was humble and we're supposed to have that same mind. In Isaiah 53, that beautiful chapter about the cross and the suffering Messiah, it says concerning Jesus that he has no former comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. There's no beauty that we should desire him. Comeliness is a word I don't think any of us, is, except for when we're reading our Bibles. So the word comeliness, according to the dictionary, it says uh, properly, it means properly becoming suitable.
0: Thank you for joining us today at Lasting Truth Radio. If you're in the area, come out and join us for Sunday services at 8.30 a.m. and at 10.30 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We are located at 3035 West Nicollet Street in Banning, California. You can also find us on YouTube or Instagram. If you would like to donate to our program, please do so on our website at ccsweetheels.org and hit the online giving tab.